Welcome to episode two of From Red to Black, a Homicide Life on the Street podcast. This is Joe Moore. I'm Daniel Charnamas. And this is season one, episode two of Homicide, called Ghost of a Chance. Let me give you a quick recap. Um, Bayless and Pembleton continue to struggle with the Adina Watson case. Bolander and Munch discuss iguana style and are called to check out the homicide of a victim that isn't dead, at least the first time. While checking out some leads for the Adina Watson case, Crosetti gives his theory on the conspiracy to kill Abraham Lincoln. Meanwhile, Lewis wants the flood Memorial Stadium. Bolander expresses an interest in Dr. Blythe. Munch advises and sends flowers in Stan's name. Danvers needs a stronger case. However, Howard is frustrated with the dead end. Then, the ghost of the victim leads her to the undiscovered proof. Tim attends Adina's funeral. This episode was written by Noel Bain, B-E-H-N, hope I'm pronouncing that right, directed by Martin Campbell, and the most notable guest star was a famous Broadway actress named Gwen Verdon. Great. Yeah. So this, um, uh, of course, picks up where we left off uh, with the last episode and starts really heavy um, with uh, at the Adina, the scene of Adina Watson. Um, and you get that sense of hesitation that uh, Bayless is not quite ready to, or is maybe not even sure what to do next with the body. And he's kind of like fielding or getting advice, maybe unsolicited from everybody. Yeah, and they're all giving him their opinion. They're all telling him, look... Move on, Tim. There's nothing else to do. Get, yeah. get the body removed. Yeah. Brutal. Brutal. And I, like I was saying, if you have not seen the first episode, so it, it's like um, like that television show, Arrested Development, I think like it had a problem finding the its audience because like so much of it depended on the episode before. You know, as the this, as this series progresses, you can't just pick it up on episode six or seven. And I feel like this is kind of... A similar situation where, like, this is such a brutal, more brutal show than the pilot. This episode, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. It's, um, it's not as funny. Um, it's, it's grim. The actors are grim, and we'll talk more about Tim. I just noticed him the whole time. He is really taking this case to heart, and right. it's really bothering him. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Secor acts amazing. Like, I think he's yeah. such a great actor. He is and great. really sells, like, just how frazzled a detective would be in this circumstance. Um, so, yeah, so we start at the uh, at the Adina scene, and really, um, uh, I guess that's kind of what thrusts this episode forward the most. We have a couple um, uh, deviations from that, that plot line, for sure. But I think... Uh, what we're seeing, and a nice shorthand where they explain to us what a red ball case is. Yes. Where uh, Frank is uh, kind of like complaining to G about the number of people that are in the precinct. And he says, this is a red ball, like everyone's got their eyes on us. Right. And and clearly, it's it's absurd how many people they're throwing at it. Yeah. Because they can't really help. But again, it's all perception. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I guess... Um, do you want to talk about the Adina thing? Do you want to go back? Yeah, that? why don't we just do that right to... Let's do the Adina Watson thing, the whole thing. Yeah. And then we can go into the other little things that happen. Yeah. 
So I, I think the big, the big piece that we're seeing in this episode is the inner workings of the police department and how uh, they're putting pressure. The higher brass or top brass are putting pressure on G to pull the rookie off this case. What? Because you made like an audible sound when G said no, he's going to stick on the case. I, I was I was happy. And proud of G that yeah. he stuck to his guns, and even if he doesn't believe it, he's not going to let Barnfather know his boss know that he doesn't think Tim is up for it. Because remember, he says to Tim, "Get get get something going here. Like you're you're a wuss. Get some cojones. Yeah, right. Start acting like you're in charge of this case." I don't think he's particularly happy the way it's gone so far. Yeah. Even though it's new. You know, it's new. Right. Yeah, and that's, you know, he is, like, nudging him along. Like, twice in the beginning of the episode, he suggests, why don't we start with these people? Or, you know, he comes and uh, on the scene in the first scene of this episode and says, it's time now yes, to kind of move correct. this along. Right, right. So he's, like, giving guidance. But then, yeah, like, you're right. Like, he kind of, like, reprimands him a little bit and comes down and is like, you know, you have to have the... The swagger that he's missing. And, and you know what else got to me right from the beginning? And again, we're, we're, we're talking about what a great job Kyle Secor does. He is dazed right from the opening scene. The last scene, oh. I almost feel he had tears in his eyes. Yeah, right. He is beside himself. I don't think he slept. I think he's emotionally attached to the murder. And you know that that does not happen to them often, if at all. Right. Can you see Frank really being sympathetic in a way to the victim? No. Right, no. But Tim, this has really gotten to Tim. It's his first one, and it's a young girl. I mean, who was, we find out, brutally murdered like three ways you know yeah. i mean it's it's pretty awful yeah and they're doing uh continuing uh like an excellent job of him being like the audience surrogate here where like we don't understand everything about the world that they kind of uh live in uh, so as this as we start hearing about all the horrific ways that she was stabbed and uh, strangled. strangled and like it is awful for us to hear as you know, and we can imagine how difficult it is for, for Tim to feel. Um, yes, I, yeah, I, I, I see that for sure. And I also think so. Not only is G like nudging him along, but he's also leading by example. Like when he complains about the desk, and G just total like all cojones, like just clears all the crap off of a desk in one move, and is like, that was an incredibly powerful scene, because I thought. He was giving Tim a message. He goes, that's what you're worried about? But he also thought it was ridiculous. And the first time he talks to uh, Tim, his nameplate's on a water cooler. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's really absurd. Yeah. And as the reporter says in her story, this guy has never even worked a case, a murder case, and he has no desk. Yeah, doesn't warrant And of course, death, Frank... Right? apologizes saying I didn't give her that story but how did she know he didn't have a desk someone said something yeah but that scene was really powerful the anger 
You know, it was almost, you know, like Jesus overturning the money changers tables in the Bible. Right. It was like, Jesus, a pretty soft-spoken guy, smiling, and here he is just angry. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, you know, we were talking in the first episode how, like, you really didn't get a like a that strong a feel of G, and that you really need it in that one. It was more about understanding the characters that we'd be experiencing in these episodes. I think you get a lot of G in this. I, I agree, and my opinion of him is now so different. Whereas the first after the first episode, I have no opinion of him. Now it's like his advice, his anger, his charm, his political savvy, right. Um, I, I loved when he said, Tim, follow your gut. You know? He, he, you know, that that was just awesome. Yeah, right. And that's, like, in that first scene when he says, it's time to move the body inside. Like, the way that he says that to him, like, I, like it's such a great punctuation for that scene. Uh, but it's also, like, um, you get this sense of, like, he almost delivered it, like, caringly. Like, understanding what Bayless was going through. And, and, like, said it in a way that it needed to be said, I think, to have it resonate with him. Um, so, yeah. So, um, so then we see... Oh, God. I was going to say, let's go back to when Frank and Tim show up at the mother's house. I was just going to say that, yeah. And Ugh. most shows, I feel, they don't really show the grief of the... Uh, survivors. Yeah. And here, this poor woman, I mean, and her kids, they're just, as they should be, so distraught. Yeah. It's it's horrible. Yeah, do you know why shows don't normally show that? No. I think it's because it's probably very difficult to watch. <laughs> uh, definitely. Hang on, my computer's... Well, let's keep going, because I don't know. Oh, yeah, no, we're in. Um, yeah, that is a... Uh, that's tough. Tough stuff to... Uh... And and then, you know, Frank is whispering in his ear, do it. And we, we kind of know that, you know, we've watched enough cop shows, he's going to have to say certain things to her. I need to talk to you. You have to identify the body. And you can tell Tim is just not comfortable with it. But what does Frank say? You have to do it, and he and he doesn't. Frank say, "I hate this." Yeah, right. Frank says it. Yeah, Frank, who's done it a hundred, two hundred, three hundred times, and also doesn't seem to show much emotion. That's right. Like he he doesn't show the things. At least not so far. We get a sense that he, he doesn't let down that guard. Totally lets down his guard. But even even he is just like, this is part of the job. I will never like. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is such, a, you know, uh, a brutal scene after a brutal scene, you know, but, like, even when you see the daughter re react, and you don't even know that there's another kid in the house until you hear the cereal bowl drop, and at the end, at the end of that scene is Bayless trying to scoop the cereal back in the bowl for some reason, like... Almost trying to, like, do anything he can to make things better. Yeah. In, yeah. in, in a small way. Yeah, metaphorically trying to set things as they were. Put the pieces back together. Yeah. So, gutting. What a brutal, brutal scene. Um, so then, yeah, uh, the next uh, thing I think we see on Adina is when 
um, G is talking to Barnfather and uh, the commander. Yes. And they're yes they're putting the pressure on him to. And we kind of I know we talked about that a little bit already, but like, I think that again you can't kind of like uh, I can't oversell how important that is because in my mind G should replace Bayless. <laughs> Um, and I guess it's sort of like you're risking, in it, like potentially, the entire future for this uh, detective. Because if they nail it, right, all eyes on them, they probably ri- ride that high out for the next however many cases. But if they don't, you know, I think everybody's reputation is on the line there. But you know what G says later to Tim, and Tim really doesn't get it. He almost says, like, this too shall pass. He, he There's a little scene where he's like, I know there's a lot of pressure now. Just wait. Because as Frank says, in a couple weeks, all the pressure will be off. Right. The press will forget about it. The red ball won't be a red ball. Things will calm down. Yeah. And Tim doesn't want to hear that. But Gene knows enough to say, like... Eventually, the heat and your involvement in this case, it will side. Yeah, and he says, like, this will go or this will close. Something, something like, like that. that, right. Yeah. And uh, see, like, part of me thought those are, <laughs> we'll, we'll point out, that's my daughter and uh, Dot in the background. If you hear a, uh, a howl, that's what it is. Last week, we had a dog enter in the show and didn't address it. So now we'll just address. Now, now we're addressing yeah. all interruptions. We'll tell you what the weird noises are. But when G said that to Tim, I didn't think G believed what he was saying. I think he was telling him what he thought Tim needed to hear then. You might be right. Just to kind of like quell the nerves a little bit, uh, bring them back down. Because um, that that seemed, uh, with everything that G says in this, he delivers with such conviction. And that just didn't even, it didn't even sound right coming out of his mouth, um, I thought. But yeah, um... And, and yeah, I think there's there's definitely a sense of that that like, all right, this is all crazy right now for you. Like, he, you start to see him kind of settle in. There's that one conversation that he has with uh, Corsetti and Lewis and Frank, and he's like pushing, puts the screws to Frank. Yes, like, you go he does. and talk to him face to face. And 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 Frank's like, it's a waste of time. And he says, oh, but I'm the primary. Right, and yeah. that's the first time. I think he realizes he has power. Right. Because the next time he tells them what to do, they don't say anything. Frank makes a face, but he doesn't say anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely... And what what can he say? I mean, he's right. He is the primary, and he's been given that power. And I'm sure the other detectives are realizing that, that, like, G is 100% in on Bayless for this. Like, they have Not no gonna leg... Not change his mind. Yeah, they have no leg to stand on here. Um... What, what did you think about the scene? Um, there's two interesting things. Uh, Tim is kind of telling the gang what they know, and he starts talking about Adina, and Frank goes, Bayless, Bayless, Beth. <laughs> We're here about death, not life. Yeah. That was kind of brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, like, what great, um, I think, uh, filling in what we've missed, like, what the show doesn't show you, like, Obviously, Tim is having these... To, to go to talk to someone and have them say, oh, she was such full of promise and she liked dancing and stuff like that, Like that's a gutting conversation to have with someone. 
And, like, Tim is taking note of that stuff because that's what's important to the people he's talking to. You know that's that they, correct. like, yeah. keep the the victim alive in their thoughts or whatever? But, like, ugh. Like, that's... But that's not what his job is. Like, his job is talking about facts and not... Now, right after that, I think, Frank goes to G and he makes a... Now, this is the second time. Yeah. Someone's going to G and saying, take Tim off the case. Right. He says everything he's done wrong, squeamish at the autopsy, screwed up the crime scene, blah, blah. Give me the case. I have a special feel for it. Yeah. Which surprised me a little bit because I'm thinking, there is no likely suspect. If one hasn't come forward quickly, in my opinion, this doesn't look like an easy case. So I was kind of surprised that Frank was like, I'll take it. Yeah. Well, why did he say that? I don't know. That's interesting <laughs> though, but it, and it's, that's a good point that uh, to bring up. Do you think... So, later in the episode, when they are on the scene of the crime and they're there with the bus of all the recruits, um, the... So now we're going to be detectives. Let's do our detecting. Uh-huh. Uh, the uh, news reporter says there's someone with a lead around the corner you have to talk to. If Frank told her that Tim didn't even have a desk... So if, let's say, theoretically, he did break that story to the news, do you think they exchanged a piece of information on the case with him and that's why he thinks it's an open and shut? No. No. I I don't think so. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. So you don't think that, uh, that he dimed... At the desk story out. No, no. And it's funny, that's not even followed up in the show. In other words, Tim doesn't even go and see this person who says, I, at least so far, Wait, the, who says, I, who, I, or does he? Yeah, because isn't that how they got the guy? Oh, the I didn't even see, I didn't catch that. The guy who they questioned oh, at the okay. end was the, was the hot tip that they got from All uh, right. From I stand store. corrected. Yeah, so, um, Oh, I didn't... Yeah, because that's what would... So here's what I... Theoretically... Oh, now I see what you're saying. I'm not even sure that I... But I'm saying that you could put the pieces together and say that uh, Frank goes to the cops to make Tim look bad to get the case, to get get Tim kind of out of the picture here. She tells them, hey, talk to the store owner around the corner. They have a a lead on... They know who killed Adina Watson. And then Frank comes back and is like, hey... He already looks like an idiot. Everyone knows. Give me the case because he's already got this lead in his back pocket. It's it's possible, yeah. but I still don't. Yeah. I also, to, like I said, I, I don't know that I believe that. But who knows? Um, cool. So, um, and by the way, that scene is before Barnfather talks to him. So that's the I believe in my notes. I think so. First, it's Frank. Well, really, first it's G. Right? Questioning whether Tim can handle the case. Yeah, then then it's Barn. It's Bar- I, I thought it was Frank no, and Barnfather. Right. But right. here's the point. Three different times is Tim's involvement, his leadership, yeah. his being the primary on the case being questioned. Yeah, right. Which is extraordinary. Yeah. And so, like, hypothetically, you're in G's shoes. You would not take the case away from him. 
I think, you know, G says it's the way we do things. He got the call. He's the primary. And I think if he does it once, what's to stop it from happening all the time? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, and then there's also, like, who who would want it outside of Frank? I know we just talked about Frank wanting it, but, like, it's kind of like the kiss of death to hand this type of case to someone else. To someone else. Huh. Um, cool. So, yeah, so they talk about this Arab... Araber? Araber. Araber. Have you heard that word before? I Until I saw homicide, I had never heard of that Me word. Neither. I know what it is. It's a guy who sells fruits and vegetables from his cart. Yeah. But I never heard of that. Yeah. So that's one of the... Um, one of the uh, leads that they have that they're kind of chasing down. Um, and then, the, like, that conversation about the block that they live on, that there's seven uh, sex crime offenders who live on the block, which, like, seems like a great place to start. And then what they had... They it, eliminate all of them. Yeah. Well, except for one, right? The one that he was saying Kay would be a... Right, be, be jump, a good, be a, could be a good catch for her. Yeah. Which was kind of some bizarre humor. Is that who the guy was at the end? Was it that guy? I don't know. Yeah, me neither. It moved a little fast. Um, well, speaking of that guy, so we get to see Frank in the box yeah. with that guy. And again, it's another example of Frank's power in the box. He's rather brutal... He's not friendly. He immediately kicks the guy's... He makes the guy uncomfortable, gets right in his face, and he's yelling at him. Lays hands on it's, him. It's a short scene. He, yeah. He's screaming at him. Yeah. yeah and then once he gets forward. what he wants... Then he's out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not quite the finesse that we saw in the first episode, but effective. We see that Frank is at least effective in the box. There was a part of me uh, that was like when there when we see before uh, Frank actually goes when it's Tim Corsetti Lewis and Frank, I'm like, are they gonna send Tim in to do this? And I was like, please don't, like, don't give him so much. And 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 you know that he wouldn't have gotten to the crux of it. In fact, he says this guy's suspect. He's got price. He lives in the neighborhood. He looks blah, like a blah. maniac. Yeah. So it's all like adding up to Tim. And and again, Frank goes in there in two minutes. Yeah. It's, nah. He's yeah. not the guy. Um, well, since, since we're still on the subject of Tim and Frank, talk about the last scene of the show because it is Tim. So we'll finish up with that. Yeah. So he, Tim goes. He goes to the funeral for Adina Watson or the service for Adina Watson. And uh, why is he there? Well, you know, when he walks in, he says to the person standing there, the usher, I'll need the copy. Because there is, I, I, and again, I don't know if this is true or not, but detectives will often go to the funeral of a murder victim because supposedly the, the murderer shows, shows up. up. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, But I think it's way more than that what do you think oh yeah he's definitely there to uh i mean i'm sure that this is bordering an obsession for him at this point you know so like he has to be there um you know 
just to to connect more with that situation that he's kind of and, and really in. when you think about it I'm, I'm pretty sure besides the dialogue to the usher there was no talking there was just the choir singing and to me it's a very very powerful yeah. scene right i mean i i don't want to say i was in tears but you are they show a close-up of adina watson tim is near tears or something yeah and it's just a gut wrenching well, it's horrible that's the thing yeah it would be sad if the case was over if they had found the murderer <laughs> and then the last scene was him going to the funeral you'd be like oh this is terrible but there's this like worse existential layer which is that like tim is so screwed like when we start to we start to feel that like this case is going to become a lot more than just you know, kind of like the more comical cases that we see in this episode where, you know, I guess most of these, well, not I won't say most, but a lot of these uh, homicide cases that they have seem to be pretty straight ahead, open, shut. Here it is. Right. Um, and, and, and I think maybe Tim is already starting to realize this is going to be a difficult case. He's had all the help anyone could ask for. They've done everything they should. And he is nowhere. He ha- he doesn't even have a suspect. Yeah. Right. It's it's made all the more brutal that she's laying there, and you know, they they don't have a clue. Right. And Tim knows that too. He doesn't have a clue. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I I think we start to see him in this episode. So like, how well? How do you feel about Bayless at the end of this episode? I mean, I I. I it's quickly dawning on me that he is one of my favorite characters. For sure. For sure. Um, he's competent. He's trying hard. I mean, I just like I like him a lot. I just like feel bad for him. Yeah. And it's funny. Even Dr. Bly, who said, you know, you should have had me take temperature at scenes. Even she is nice to him and sympathetic to him. She doesn't go after him. I think she kind of sees he's a decent guy. He's not a jerk like Frank might be yeah. or Lewis or Chrisetti. Yeah. And there's something very earnest about him. Yeah. You just, you, you want to like Tim. And, well, he's also like crushed under the weight of the world too. You know? Yes, so, like, he definitely she, is. She doesn't want to add, add to that. But yeah, he's definitely, and I think that we're starting to see him act more like a detective. Like, I think he's actually doing good work for the most part. Um, so that one weird thing, that, I guess the only thing about this storyline that we didn't really talk about yet was how that like public show of, you know, that the uh, Barnfather says, like, we need to do something that the community sees that we're going to dedicate some work to this. And so they have the, that, like, goofball, like, those recruits come out. Right, they all look like they're about 15. Yeah, right. Are they, like, new, I guess they're new police But they should be in their 20s. They should be, like, college graduates or, but they they don't look it. No, they don't. And they have them, like, come out and, like, run around the van and fall into, like, line or whatever. And they're going to do, like, just a, like, spread out. Yeah, do a sweep of the the neighborhood and find, look for clues. They're looking for the earring and... Now, remember, they did find a pipe. Right. With blood on it, which could be part of the crime right but i think all the detectives think and maybe rightly so it was just for public show right 
It was a waste of time. And that's, uh, the commander says to Bayless, and that I thought was an interesting, that that they threw this little exchange in before Bayless tells the police what they're going to be doing, all those recruits. Um, The commander comes over to him and says, uh, I want to uh, say a few words. Address them, yes. And he says, absolutely, after I'm done. Yeah. So even Bayless is like, yeah, he's not backing down. He's going to act like, you know, police officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also, um, you know, he's still gonna, you know, you're not gonna not let the commander talk, but you know, flex your muscle a little. Um, yeah. So then, uh, and we never see what the commander wants to say. We never, now, never get that in. I, I was wondering, are we gonna hear what he has to say? No, there's yeah. no scene. I wonder if it was filmed and then cut. You you um, wonder? Yeah. Because you, I would, Im- but we can also connect the dots. Like, what do you think he was saying? He was going to say how important this is, thank you, yeah, and just, you know, and maybe for the cameras, say some things. Something that'll look good in ink. Yeah. On, on the 6 o'clock news yeah. and in the paper. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, hey, that's his job. You know, like, I, I there's a part of that that, like, you're, they're pitting the detectives against the upper... Uh, management, you know, like, and you kind of like feel like, oh, those guys are such sleamy, sleazy. But like, I don't know. I guess that's as valid as anything else. But in future episodes, we will see. Oh, yeah. I believe how slimy and sleazy they really are. Elections or whatever. Um. All right, cool. Well, uh, is there anything else that you want to say on Adina and or, uh, and Tim? I think. I think we covered it. Yeah. You know, it, it, so like in this show, and in most shows, stories are between two characters, and I really feel like Tim's story this episode is Tim and G, and that we're seeing them kind of butt up against each other more than Tim and Frank. I agree, I concur with that yeah. observation, yeah, for sure. And then also that more like existential story of Tim versus Adina, or Adina's killer, uh, that kind of like cap off and begin the episode, but... Well, let, let's go into the... Because there's other stuff that happens in this that kind of provides some of that, like, bizarre levity that this show does so well. Thankfully. Yeah, right. Um, so first, do you want to talk about uh, Bolander and Munch? Sure. Yeah, and their Iguana's uh, conversation. That, that, that whole thing was just hysterical. Yeah. It was good to see Bolander kind of open up a little bit and not be so shy about it. Yeah. <laughs> But it was interesting. Well, it definitely is. Uh, we're seeing more of him than we saw in the first. Um, and also, we're seeing what you would imagine they use uh, Richard Belzer for, which is just, you know, comedic relief. Um, so they're called out to the scene of a crime where this, like, 80-year-old man is supposed to be dead. And um, I actually looked up his name. It's the uh, the cop is uh, Lee Turgeon, Turgeson? Sounds familiar somehow. Yeah, he, well, he's been in a bunch of uh, Dame, David Simon stuff. Um, he was famously, for me at least, Beecher on Oz, <laughs> Tobias Beecher, who's a great, incredible character. Um, but he's been on, um, he's in Wayne's World, too. Uh, well, Wayne's World also, not the movie Wayne's World, too. Um, but yeah, so uh, they get to the scene, and the guy, the guy is not dead. Which which was really funny, <laughs> and they don't get that upset, right? <laughs> and they just kind of, and it was funny when they pulled in. They just said that it was um, it was a nice neighborhood for a murder. 
you know, in contrast to the Adina Watson murder scene, which is horrible. Yeah. Filled with crack vials and this is like a really nice suburban neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a nice home too. Like it all looks nice inside, well well kept. Um and um yeah, so they talk to the the wife and uh <laughs> and then when they go over and check the body, uh it's not a homicide because he's not dead yet, and then he pops up and the two of them like pick up immediately. Right where their argument left off, yelling at each other. And then before they split, they tell the cop like you better stick. You better stick around because <laughs> yeah. they're not done with each other. Yeah, and they knew it. And then later they get called back, uh, back to this scene. And I that I mean plays up really well to what's happening to Bolander outside of work, where he's kind of fallen for uh, Blythe, Doctor Blythe. Yeah, the coroner. Um, so yeah, kind of seeing and and we get some we get a little bit of background about his past relationships and his hesitancy uh, kind of going forward and like so there's that really cool conversation in the uh, district attorney's office with him and Blythe where they're talking about the case whether it's a murder or not yes that was a good scene yeah a lot of and, and it's hard for Bolander because he likes her but and he realizes it may screw up whatever relationship they may have but he's not going to back down right and either is she yeah and it's funny, she's got the power. Yeah. It says it'll stay in red, unsolved, forever. Yeah. Because I decide whether it's a murder, not you. Which is awesome. I didn't realize that. I didn't know that either. But it totally makes sense. I mean, why why would they let a homicide detective That's pick right. whether their case was a homicide or not? Um, but yeah, like so just we're kind of seeing like some friction between them, like power struggle. And then also, in them talking about that relationship, we're getting their views on their relationships like that you know oh well it was uh you know they were sick of each other or whatever well you know you still can't let someone die she accelerated his death she says that she goes i was stuck in a bad relationship i left them i didn't kill him yeah you know and we know that bolander was also in came from an unhappy marriage as well yeah so yeah so (laughs) so we know that he's attracted to her and then we know he has this like you know, really tough conversation with her where it's it's about work, but it's also personal. I think there's underlying undertones of what they're talking about. And then Munch sends her flowers in his name. After Munch <laughs> says, don't send her don't flowers. Don't send her flowers. He sends her. And, and <laughs> Bolander, being the shy guy that he is, because Munch is like, call her right now. And he's, I'll call her later. I'm going to the bathroom. Yeah, and Munch I, goes... You can't call her from the yeah, bathroom, right. kind of. Yeah, I, I've got her number. He says, I'm going to the bathroom. It's not in there. <laughs> and you kind of, you know, Stan is so cute. And you're just like, you're really starting to get a sense of what he's like. And by the way, I think it's the first time that Munch calls him the fat man. Yeah. Or, or big, big man big or guy. fat man. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cute. Yeah, he's 48, approximately. Approximately. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I, I would say, like, following that relationship from the week before, like, these guys are definitely friends. I think that they like each other, they get each other. Um, you know, the first episode was so much of Bolander getting under his skin um, that now Munch is kind of throwing it back at him, 
But he's also trying to help them along, too. You can definitely see they like each other, and it's friendly, and yeah, they push each other's buttons, but in a good way. Yeah. And then the other case uh, that we kind of follow along in this episode is with How- Kay Howard and Bo. Bo Felton. And kind of like uh, maybe explaining some of Kay's success, uh, why there's so much black under her name. She seems definitely to be obsessed when Danvers, who we meet for the first time, who's uh, played by a guy, I think his name is Zel- Zelcho, like a great actor, yeah. been in a million things. She is really angry when she's like, well, I don't know if I can get a conviction. She's like, what? Yeah. She goes crazy. Yeah. So she is driven. Yeah, she thought she did her due diligence and then set up the pieces. A cool dynamic you don't really consider when you think of a homicide detective's job. You know, that there's a, an, an, a, a someone else has to pick up the ball at some point. You know what's interesting, too? We, we talked last week a lot about are these people friends or just partners? There's three times, I think, again, where Kay and Bo say, you're my friend and you're my partner. You're my friend. And she also calls him a putz yeah. the third time. <laughs> but the first two times are said seriously. Yeah. You're my friend and my partner. And you you know, you're not quite sure where Bo's coming from, but think of what he does to help her make sure that that conviction stands. Even though he and we'll get to this in a second, even though he rats around to the fellow detectives, he's on her side. Yeah. 100%. Right. And I don't think, I don't think as poorly of him as I did last week. He kind of went up a little bit. Yeah, he earns his keep um, for sure. So so they're, yeah, so we get this... um, that they need something more on this case that she thought was already closed. And they go and interview this, like, weird, like... Biker guy. Yeah, kind of like Zen. Like, he's talking about all these weird things other than... Yeah, it's bizarre. Probably a great way to talk to a cop if you are a murderer. <laughs> you know, like... Just talk weird stuff. And keep your mind clear. Um, and it's, again, one of those things where she knows that he did it. And he, he knows she knows... <laughs> There's no... I thought it was strange that she just went and talked to him. Like, that doesn't seem like a good idea to, off the record, go visit someone. Yeah, probably not. And whether they do that or not in real life, I don't know. Yeah. But um, but, but Kay is talking about how she's hearing voices and how she has... Uh, believes in this fantastic element of her life where... Victims are giving her clues and telling her where the gun is. Or the and, and and Bo reacts like you're crazy. When G kind of weighs in, he he mentions that other police departments use these weird means, and he goes, "But I don't believe any of it." But he acknowledges it's done in the detective business. Yeah. But yeah, and it's well, and again, the cut to the end. How does Bo solve the case? Yeah, do you believe that? Do you think he used tarot cards? I, I think it must be. I think he did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of like following with what you were saying about Bo, have, having such a negative perception of Bo after last week's episode, um, 
when he's following the motorcycle at night, I thought for sure he did something drastic. I, I thought he went after this guy and was gonna like, you know, beat him up, beat or him something. up a little, or you know, something that something to help K out. But turns out he did it, but he did it by the book. Um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if I was just reading into it because I already had such a negative perception of him from from the previous episode. Well, but obviously he betrayed her trust because Crosetti and um, Lewis Lewis yeah. do that whole thing with Casper the like Friendly the ghost. ghost, which is probably the funniest scene yeah, right. in the whole show. <laughs> and at, at, you know, at first she's like, and then she gets it that he's obviously told them yeah. that she's having dreams from. I mean, she's being visited by a ghost, and she's following up what the ghost says. Yeah, and that's when she says, "You're, you know, I take it all back. You're not my friend. <laughs> right. You're not my partner. Yeah, you're a jerk." Yeah, which is such a strange. Like that's where the line was. You know that there was some kind of like intimacy in her sharing that with him that she didn't want that to get out. Uh, and I can see how, like, if I worked with a couple of knuckleheads like Lewis and Corsetti, I would want them to know nothing about me right. other than what they needed to know for work. And again, that was a really good, that was a very funny scene, and they just really ribbed her tremendously. Yeah, and Bo, Bo takes it to heart. Like, he, that is what I think propels him to say, you know what, I'm going to, behind, almost behind her back, put this case to bed. You're right, her. and he does it, he doesn't even tell her what he's doing, so... Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's certainly some some comedic elements to that um, to that storyline, uh, and I think kind of re- a little bit redemption for Bo. I feel better about him now. Definitely, he he went up in my book after last week. Just thinking he's a complaining jerk. I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah. Well, what else in this episode do we want to discuss? You know, just going back to Kay, uh, Bo Felton again mentions her streak, and the streak being she solves every case. So again, that's really important to her. That's why, as you said, we start to see her tenacity. Oh, there's the <laughs> there's the very funny scene at the near the end when they're in the bar, and Danvers sends over a uh, drink, pitcher of beer, and one just. Because I, I know I think you laughed out loud. Yeah, right. Um, should they invite him over? And it's like he just bought us a drink, not a kidney. <laughs> right. That was a really great line. Yeah. Um, but I think again you saw the dynamic between him and them. That even though he may go after them, they're in the same business, the same company, if you will. They all want the same. thing thing and he's got to be nasty and push them once in a while but yes that was a very funny scene yeah and that's so uh in this episode we never see anything go from red to black we do we even see the board at all you do see the board briefly because i noticed that k's i noticed again they were all black yeah briefly and what a what a weird element for her to have the def- uh, district attorney come in and tell her that, the name's already in black. Like, she's already reported to the world that the case is closed. And again, knowing what I know, once they put it in black, 
unless something extraordinary happens, it doesn't matter if the person gets off on a trial. Right. She has solved the case. If they can't prove it, that's that's their fault or problem. But case not like that. Right. Someone else may say, "Who cares?" Yeah. Bo Felton might have said, "Who cares?" Who cares? Yeah. Not K. Yeah. And that's what makes her K. Yeah. So both of the other at beyond the Adina cases, both of these uh, uh, cases that we're following in the episode are kind of like way teetering between solved and unsolved solved by the book and unsolved in reality you're um, right they e- even though you know we were pretty sure the guy just had a heart attack and she dragged him down the stairs and in the other case uh with with the tarot cards that were he he did it but yeah, you're right. It's just it's it just shows you the vagary of yeah. the whole thing they do. Yeah, that even in this show that is such, um, yes, no, black, white, uh, you know, live, dead. Uh, there is this like strange kind of gray area that these cases can kind of fall into. And I th- I think that speaks to, speaks to what a hard job they have. Yeah, that. It's rarely black and white. Yeah. It's there's always shades of gray. Yeah. It's a hard job. So Ghost of a Chance, the name of the episode. What is that in a reflection of? Definitely Kay's case. Oh, right. She's seeing the ghost. Right. Um and you know what? It's funny. I didn't really think that was the focus of the episode, even though that was in the title yeah because uh, the same thing i'm like ghost of a chance this is really more about adina watson but um and again we we got a lot more of k in this episode got a lot of g yeah for sure and we kind of learned a lot more about the workings like you said of the office starting to see the political pressure understand what a red ball is a really big case yeah and to see the pressure they're under at times to solve things with the media and things like and their bosses right and each yeah. other yeah 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 so it's really kind of fleshing out uh, what the life of a homicide detective actually entails beyond just the nitty-gritty of the day-to-day and we work. also got to see a little bit of the boredom when they go back on the scene where they're the recruits are combing the back alley Lewis and and Crosetti are just standing there, just like playing with their rubber gloves. Yeah. I mean, they're just like bored out of their minds. Yeah, it's just boring. Yeah, to them. Cool. Well, uh, who's a who's a hero? Who's a loser in this one? To me, the the, the clear hero, it's got to be Tim Bayless. Yeah, I think it's really his show. Um. Because he just he carries it from the first scene to the last. He's the man. Yeah. And again, Kyle Secord does an amazing, amazing job. Yeah. Really, why he didn't win Emmy for that episode? I don't see how he could act any greater than he did in that episode. Yeah, really sold it. So so awesome. And the goat. I I don't know. I didn't really have anyone to me that came across. Poorly. How about you? What did you think? I would say my winner in this, and I'm going to go a little untraditional. I would say Bo Felton. 
Wow. He gets save her K uh, at the time when she needs it, and I think redeems a lot in his character from what we've seen so far. That like you like the guy. He did he did a good job. He did good police work. Whether it was the cards or himself, you know, half the battle is knowing where to go for the information. Um, and I would say my loser here is Bolander, who can't get up the nerves to ask out the, the coroner. I, I see what you're saying. And, and again, and, and we can see it. She clearly likes him. She's yeah. interested. And he's just so shy and nervous. and Yeah. He's just not that kind of a guy. Right. Out of practice, maybe. Um, but yeah, so he's he's my loser because he also sends her flowers, which like is such an awkward thing now for him to have to follow up with her. Like, hey, did you get the flowers that I didn't send? Someone else sent. Yeah, it's going to be an awkward. I don't know if they follow up. We'll find out next week. But that'll be cool. Anything else? No. Again, just I, I got to tell you when I watched the show the first time because I watched it twice this week. I was filled with such excitement to watch the show. And again, even just after two episodes, I'm just like, this is really a really good show. Great show, writing, great characters, direction. I mean, anything you want to see, it's, it really stands the test of time. Right. It is a disturbing show that to me grips you and just won't let go yeah yeah you really get like the full range of the skill set of this team in this episode because it does have these like again like total pit of despair moments and then these also like really fun laugh out loud funny moments um and yeah i mean you know you like all these characters you want to see more from them um so yeah i think this is uh, on on par with one of the best episodes of homicide uh, coming straight out the gate with two back-to-back excellent Yeah, incredible. Cool, well then let's say so two of season one, Ghost of a Chance. Uh, we can now move from red to black. To black. Uh, uh, make sure to subscribe, like us on social media or whatever. And our email address is... Yeah, if you have any questions or comments, from red to black pod at gmail.com. So please, we welcome your your comments, suggestions, uh, whatever criticisms. Maybe not much, but we'll take them. Um, and again, we're 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 you know we know there's people out there just like us who just love this show, and that's why we're doing it because we love it. And as Joe said, I don't think it's really gotten the acclaim. I think there was a, a TV Guide article once that said if you, those of you can remember what TV Guide was it used to be relevant Daily, weekly magazine about TV said the best show you're not watching yeah because again the ratings stayed abysmally poor the whole seven years yeah it never got better it's tough when you're up against Walker Texas Ranger and uh, Nash Bridges yeah oh yeah cool well uh, yeah um, uh, thanks for listening and uh, we'll be back next week See you next week.